Last Sunday night, we began an eight-week journey through the second letter of the Apostle Peter, calling this series Godly Living in the Last Days. As I said last Sunday night, I'm not trying to predict that uh, Jesus is coming tomorrow. We don't know when he's coming, but the writer of Hebrews said uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 that in these last days, the last days is that period of time between the first advent and the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know we are at least uh, 2,000 years closer to when Jesus comes again. But Second uh, Peter has so much to teach us, and we do live in serious times, and uh, we, especially we get to chapter 2. We're going to talk about false teachers and false teaching. And uh, the greatest danger to the church is not from without, but from within. Now, we are a discerning people. We are a Bible uh, knowledgeable people, but uh, there are plenty of false teachers out in the, in the uh, media world, and we want to be discerning about that. Chapter 3, we're going to talk about the uh, return of Christ and uh, the new heavens and the new earth. I can't wait till we get to chapter 3. Uh, but tonight, from chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through 11, a no-so salvation. So here's a question for your consideration. Do you have the assurance that you are saved? Do you? Do you know that if you died before the sun comes up tomorrow that you would be taken into the presence of God in heaven? Are you sure? The two issues that I've dealt with in my counseling through the years that far surpass everything else put together is, uh, Pastor, how can I know the will of God for my life? And number two, and I don't know which, which is one and which is two, but uh, how can I be sure that I'm saved? So many people struggle with the assurance of their salvation. That being said, I have some good news for you. You can be sure that you are saved. Our salvation is a no-so salvation. When I stand before you tonight and say that I know that I'm eternally secure in Christ, I know that I'm going to heaven. That's not arrogance on my part at all. That's just simply knowing the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. Now, for those of you uh, who have no assurance of your salvation, I want to suggest that you're in one of three categories. If you, if, you, if you don't have assurance of your salvation, you are either number one, you have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, and it causes you to question your relationship with God. Or number two, you're lost and you're on the road to hell. And your only hope is to repent and believe. Or number three, you have not yet come to a place of understanding the message of saving grace. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy we are saved. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, that a guilty sinner is reconciled to God. 
So tonight, 1 Peter chapter 1, we begin with verse 5, we read through verse 11. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look again in verse 10. My brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. Uh, The paraphrase, the message translates or paraphrases verse 10 this way. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. The initiative for salvation begins not with the human heart, but with God. And uh, Peter uses the phrase here, your calling and election, sure. And so he wants his readers to understand salvation and to confirm their eternal salvation to be sure that they are in the family of faith. Now, as this text will teach us, uh, the way to gain assurance is not what we often hear in church life today. Uh, Some folks will say, well, you're not sure. Uh, Didn't you walk an aisle? Well, just because you walked an aisle doesn't mean you're a Christian. Uh, You could take an old mule out there and take him around the track at the Kentucky Derby and that wouldn't make him a thoroughbred. Now, I'm not against walking aisles. We invite people every time we gather to come to Christ. And I myself was converted in a revival meeting when I stepped into the aisle. There I was met Christ. My life was changed as a 10-year-old. You can walk a Baptist aisle, a Presbyterian aisle, a Catholic aisle, a Lutheran aisle. You can walk every aisle in every church in Lee County and still not be saved. So if you're, if you're saying, well, I, got, I think I'm saved because I walked an aisle. Well, no. Or, well, I got baptized. Look, you could be baptized in, in every creek in the state of Alabama, the frogs know you by first name, but that doesn't mean you're born again. Or I prayed the prayer. Now, by God's grace, I've had the privilege to lead many people to pray a prayer of repentance and faith and point them to, to the Savior. But we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not saved by praying prayer. So some people don't have assurance because they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking at, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, so I prayed a prayer. The question is, is there a life change? 
So tonight, as we think about a no-slow salvation, I want you to see with me in this text three truths that will help us to understand uh, how we can know that we are indeed the sons and daughters of God. First truth found in verses 5, 6, and 7 is a no-so salvation is a growing salvation. If you are a growing Christian, if you have uh, uh, a desire to grow in your faith, that is, a, that is a, a good evidence that you are a genuine Christian. You can have the assurance of your salvation. Now, Peter is concerned that those to whom he has written this letter are growing in the grace of God. Look in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the last, the last verse in this letter but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This word knowledge is found in, in, in 2 Peter many, many times. And so here Peter admonishes his readers to grow in the grace of God and in the knowledge of God. Now go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you're a genuine Christian, you are, you are birthed into the family of faith and you are a newborn baby spiritually. Now, just as a physical baby has to grow, I was born, I'm told I was about uh, 22 ounces and eight pounds, and I'm a lot taller and a lot heavier today than I was then. I I've grown, and that'd be true of all of us. We're, we've, we've grown since the day of our physical birth. And if you're gonna be a, a, a Christian that has the assurance of your salvation, you want to be, you'll be a growing Christian. You won't stay a baby. You'll crave the, the spiritual milk. Grow up in your salvation. Now, let's go back to, to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5. All right. For this very reason, make every effort. What reason? Well, what he talked about in verse 3. Look in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything we need. We don't need some special blessing. We have it all in Jesus. And so what Peter is saying here is you have God's divine power to live a godly, holy, Christ-like life. You're not shortchanged. Now, back to verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to add. Effort. You see that word, effort? It means you've got to work at it. What did, what did uh, the Apostle Paul say to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2? He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. This is not a denial of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. This is simply an acknowledgement that a person who has experienced God's saving grace by having put his faith and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ 
will discipline himself for godliness. We add to, make every effort. We stress, we, we strain, we, we give of ourselves. We, we place ourselves in the pathway of blessing. We discipline ourselves for godliness. Now, in what way? Well, in verses five, six, and seven, uh, Peter gives us eight character qualities of a growing Christian. Let's look at them in turn. And before we look at the first one, let me suggest that uh, this might serve for each of us as a checklist to ascertain if we really know the Lord. Did not Paul say to the Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith? He did. So this is a good place, these three verses, to, for us to search our own hearts and, and to see, am I really in the faith? All right, here we go, verse, verse 5. The first one that we should add is, is faith, or the first one listed is faith. Now, faith is the foundation of the Christian life. It, and he's, he's not talking about faith in faith. It's, it's, a, it's faith in Jesus. It's faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may be thinking, well, isn't faith the end of the gospel? Well, it is. It's the front end. And faith is the doorway to salvation. We enter into life by placing our faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. So add to your faith in Jesus, number two, verse five, goodness. This is virtue. This is moral excellence. It ought to be said of us, uh, well, he's a good man. She's a good lady. Uh, what did the gospel writer say about Jesus? He went about doing good. And into goodness, we add knowledge. Now, this is the practical knowledge. This is practical insight. This is what I'm going to call sanctified common sense, where you approach the issues of life by taking the word of God and finding the principles that are in the word of God or the promises that are in the word of God or the commands that are in the word of God and bringing your life into conformity with what is revealed to us in, Christians, in Christian scripture. Therefore, and watch this, a Christian should be a lifelong learner. We never graduate from this school of the Christian faith. We're always learning a quest for knowledge. Now, it's not knowledge that saves us. The Christian life, there's nothing to earn, but there's much to learn. We don't earn our way in right standing with God, but we learn who we are in Christ and we act on what we are learning day by day, week after week. A lifelong journey. And to knowledge, add, verse 6, self-control. Obvious, self-restraint. The writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 16, better a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And so we are to bring our passions under control. Are your desires under control? 
your desires for sex, your desires for food, your desires for work, your speech, the way you use your time. Is there discipline there? there there's the whole matter here uh, of self-control. Self-control, by the way, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 5, is the fruit of the Spirit. Next, verse 6, perseverance. We're, we're, we're talking about what we're adding to our walk, uh, our Christian walk to make us more like Jesus. Perseverance is to be steadfast, tenacious, to endure. Now, when Paul, excuse me, when Peter penned these words, uh, uh, the, the church uh, was facing persecution, which was about to get far, far more severe than than at this point. And he was saying, you need to add perseverance. Uh, during hard times and suffering. Now, we, we don't know much about hard times here as far as what most of the world knows and most of Christian history knows. But, but, but we do know this, that, that when God calls us and gifts us for a ministry, we, we're not to just throw in the towel when it gets tough. One of the tragedies of the modern American church is folks, uh, they, they take an assignment, a ministry, a class, or, 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 or some other kind of ministry somewhere, some project, and, and uh, then they get some pushback, and they, it gets, gets tough, and they decide, no, it's not for me, just quit. No, we're to persevere. Next in verse 6, godliness. Well, godliness is to be like God. It means that you want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ-likeness. When people encounter you and me, they ought to see something of Jesus in our life, in our speech, in our demeanor, in our actions or in our reactions. Now, to be godly, we must fear God. To fear God means that we fear that we would say or do something that would bring dishonor to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to fear God. Now, let me just pause at this point and say that godliness is so, so essential uh, in our maturity in Christ and in the advance of the gospel. Uh, there's the tendency on the part of some to think, of, you know, if we just had, if I was more gifted, I could do more for, no, no, you have all the spiritual gifts you need to do what God's called you to do. If you don't remember anything else I'll say, not remember this, it is better to be godly than to be gifted. Let me say it again. It is better to be godly than to be gifted. In fact, the greater your gifts, the greater the danger are that you might dishonor the Lord. Because you, you learn to rely on your gifts and not on God. Fifty years ago, soon after I'd been called to the gospel ministry... There was a pastor, I'm not going to name his name, but he was a pastor of the First Baptist Church in a deep south state, capital city. 
when he was 19, he was preaching to 6,000 people in youth rallies. And very gifted, eloquent, dynamic speaker. But he felt like he was above the law. He was, uh, he was a student at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the 50s. And he was the brightest student that it had. He was the youngest PhD graduate ever. But when he came to graduation, he had parking fines, many parking fines. He'd just park where he wanted to on campus and campus police would give him a ticket and he'd just blow it off. And so he got summoned to see President Naylor. <laughs> and President Naylor said to him, you want to graduate? Pay the fines. Well, President Naylor did the right thing, but I tell you, it didn't take. He went to be pastor of this First Baptist Church in this capital city. And it turned out that he committed adultery with his secretary and covered it up by taking her life a gifted speaker, but he let his gifts exceed his godliness. Now watch this. We, myself included, we must seek to please the Lord Jesus Christ more than we seek fame or prominence or power or, or claim. If Jesus is pleased, it doesn't matter who's displeased. And if you displease Jesus, you've just blown it. So add godliness. Next, verse 7, brotherly kindness. Bro brotherly kindness is not, was not natural to, to Simon Peter, who wrote this letter. You read about uh, Simon. He was impetuous. He was he was arrogant. He was braggadocious. Uh, they'll all, you know, let them all deny you, but Lord, I never will. But he did. He got humbled. Transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And we see him here just a year or so at the most before he comes to the end of his journey and he's saying you got to add to godliness brotherly kindness. Little girl said, God, make all the bad people good and all the good people kind. My missions professor at Southwestern Seminary, Cal Guy, some, some of you will remember him because he preached here many times. He used to say in class, be kind to everybody because everybody's got trouble. And what a wonderful virtue to add brotherly kindness. And then, verse 7, last love. To all of these other character qualities that reflect the character of Jesus, add love. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, uh, chapter 13, he said, uh, 
These three remained faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus said the great commandment is to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. God is love, and God's people are to be marked by love. Jesus said to the, uh, to those in the upper room on the night before his crucifixion, by this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. So we're, we're seeking by the, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit to add these virtues, these character qualities into our Christian life. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So examine yourself and be honest. There's a second truth I want you to see with me in this text as we think about a no-so salvation. In verses 8 and 9, we see that a no-so salvation is a fruitful salvation. Now, the word fruitful is not in the text there, but the, the idea is. And uh, if you look at in verses 8 and 9, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that phrase in verse 1, ineffective and unproductive? That is, unfruitful. And, and the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Spirit of God, desires to produce in your life and my life spiritual fruit. Now hold your place in uh, 2 Peter 1 and, and go with me to John chapter 15. Uh, we'll look first in verse 8. John chapter 15. Again, this is a part of the, uh, the upper room discourse where Jesus spoke to the, the, the 12 on the night before his uh, crucifixion. And in John 15, 8, Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so how do we demonstrate that we really are a follower of Christ? We bear fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think we can take Peter's list there in verses uh, 5, 6, and 7 and make that uh, on a par with what Paul said to the Galatians. Now look in John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus said to them, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We have been saved by the grace of God to bear spiritual fruit. Let's go back to First Peter chapter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities, those qualities that we read about in chapters 5, verses 5, 6, and 7, in increasing measure, you you are growing in this. You're not stagnant. Then they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key is knowledge. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow, the more you know. It, it, It feeds on itself. It's not just facts. It's not historical facts from the Bible. We don't study the Bible just academically to to learn facts. We study the Word of God to have an encounter, a personal encounter with the God of the Word. 
Now, verse 9 talks about the danger of not knowing. But if anyone does not have them, have what? Those eight character qualities, moral qualities that we saw in verses 5, 6, and 7. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sin. Now, I'm nearsighted. I've been nearsighted since I was a child. I found out I was nearsighted uh, at uh, my first Major League Baseball game. My, our family had gone to uh, California to visit my aunt and uncle and cousins. And so we, one night, my dad and my uncle Dick and I went to the Coliseum. This is before the Dodgers had their own stadium. And in the, in the Coliseum, I saw the Los Angeles Dodgers play the Cincinnati Reds. I saw Don Drysdale pitch. He was one of the great pitchers of that era. And I kept asking my dad questions, and he kept saying, well, son, it's on the scoreboard. What you want? What's on the scoreboard? I could barely see the scoreboard, much less read it. I didn't know I was nearsighted. So we get back to Alabama, I go see the eye doctor, and I've been wearing eyeglasses ever since. Peter is saying here, if, if, verse 9, if you don't have this, it's like you can't see spiritually, and you can't see eternally. You're just blind to spiritual reality without these qualities being added on into your life day by day, week in and week out. It, the, the Christian life is, is continual progress. You, you, it, if you come to a, a, an abrupt halt, then it's just like uh, riding a bicycle. You, you quit pedaling and, and um, you just fall off. And if you quit, if you quit adding to uh, your, your spiritual life, these, these, these virtues, these moral character qualities here that are found for us, then... Uh, we just, we fall. So we, we discipline ourselves to draw near to God. Billy Sunday was uh, the, the most well-known evangelist in the United States uh, in the early part of the 20th century. So that'd be about 100 years ago now. He was a former Major League Baseball player who got converted and he had some really weird antics. He would, uh, uh, sometimes he would slide into the pulpit, you know, from his baseball days, or he really wanted to rouse everybody's attention. He'd take a chair from the pulpit and break it from the platform and break it over the pulpit. That'd get people to listen. Billy Sunday said when he was a young man, a young Christian, somebody said to him, Billy, here's how I can guarantee you'll never backslide on God. Billy Sunday said, well, tell me. And he said, here's what you do. Spend 15 minutes every day letting God talk to you through reading the Bible. Then spend 15 minutes every day talking to God through prayer. And then spend 15 minutes every day talking to somebody about Jesus. Billy Sunday says, work for me. We're either going forward or we're backing up, but we're not standing still. And if you're standing still, you're backing up, and you may not really know the Lord, and that may be why you don't have the assurance of your salvation. You're just depending on some, some 
experience you had when you were 10 or 15 or 30 or whatever. So let me say, if you don't bear fruit, you have reason to be, to doubt the validity of your profession of faith. You say, isn't that salvation by works? Not at all. Salvation is not by works, but real salvation produces works. The Bible's quite clear on that. So, a, a, a no-so salvation is a growing salvation. A no-so salvation is a fruitful salvation. And the third truth I want you to see in verses 10 and 11 is a no-so salvation is an eternal salvation. Now, this is of ultimate importance because this counts forever. Do you think about the gravity of what happens every time we gather in this room that eternity hangs in the balance? That while most of the people who are in this room have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever an assembly of this many people gathers together, we can be sure there are some who do not truly know God. So verse 10, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Make it sure. You've been called by God in eternity past to salvation. He set his heart on you. Make your election sure. God wants you to know. For if you do these things, that is the things in verses five, six, and seven, you will never fall. You keep making progress. And here's, here's the good part right here. Verse uh, 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the destiny of the sons and daughters of God. I don't want to be saved as by fire. I, you know, when I go through the pearly gates, I want the banners to be flying and the trumpets to be blowing. Here's a redeemed sinner who's come home, a rich welcome. No doubt in my mind about my eternal destiny because I've, I trusted Jesus a long time ago. And I've been walking with him a long time. And I long to see my Savior. But my friend, if you have a lifestyle of sin, I don't care how many times you walked an aisle or how many times you've been baptized. If you are living in sin and you know you are living in sin, you have no reason to have any hope of assurance of eternal life. And what you need to do is to repent while it's still time. Your life, my life, demonstrates either our love for God or our lack 
thereof. John Newton was a slave trader who was wonderfully and gloriously converted, became a pastor in the Church of England. We know him best for being the author of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. One day, John Newton was at a table. Uh, he, one day he mentioned at his table the death of a lady. And a young woman who sat opposite him said, oh, sir, how did she die? And Newton replied, there's a more important question than that, my dear, which you should have asked first. Sir, she said, what question would be more important than how did she die? And Newton's answer was, how did she live? If you know Christ, in a personal saving way, it'll make a difference in how you live. And you'll have the witness of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your spirit that you are a child of God. It's made no difference in how you live. You have every reason to doubt your eternal destiny. God, our Father, we thank you that we can have a no-so salvation, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ Jesus is and what he did on the cross and the resurrection, and because he has given up his spirit to transform us, to make us new creations in Christ. And now, Lord, I pray for those who struggle with assurance of salvation, who really know you, God, that you would grant them that witness of the spirit. But I pray for those who don't know you, who may think they know you, but who really don't know you, that even tonight, Spirit of God, you would deal in their lives and bring them to the knowledge of their need of a Savior, of sin and righteousness and judgment that brings them to repentance and faith, all for their welfare, both now and forever and for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.